I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Today's show is sponsored by Audible, the home of over 150,000 audiobooks. To get a free, yes, free audiobook, go to audibletrial.com forward slash queens and go find yourself something awesome to listen to today. This week, I'm going to recommend The Crusades, a very short introduction by Christopher Tyerman and Stephen Baldy. These short introduction books are just fantastic ways of learning everything you need to get from a subject in a no-nonsense, concise manner. This book mainly deals with the reasons behind the Crusades and why so many men and women across Europe travelled so far on such dangerous expeditions. All in just five hours. And it's free when you sign up for a trial membership at audibletrial.com forward slash queens. And better yet, by doing so, you'll be showing your support for the Queens of England podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Queens of England podcast. Episode 11, Berengaria of Navarre, the Lionheart's absent queen. We now go from one of England's best-known queens to one of her least. Say the name Berengaria of Navarre in any but the nerdiest of history circles, and you're likely to get a confused, who? in reply. Like most queens from the period, we don't know when she was born, as no one thought to write it down, but testing done on her skeleton suggests that it was sometime between 1165 and 1170. Her parents were Sancha VI of Navarre and her conveniently named mother, Sancha, who was the daughter of the King of Castile and Leon. Berengaria herself was their third child and eldest daughter. Navarre was a small kingdom in the modern Basque country in Spain. Like all Iberian kingdoms, their size fluctuated wildly through the Middle Ages, but at the time that Berengaria was born, it was at one of its smallest extents, having had huge chunk carved out of it by Castile and Leon. Not much is known of her childhood at all, really. Her mother, Sancha, died in 1179, and her father never remarried, meaning that Berengaria probably took on most of the queenly duties in Navarre which some have given as the reason why she married relatively late in life for someone with her prospects. And so it came to be that, in 1189, Richard I ascended to the throne and saw Berengaria as a possible future wife. We talked a lot last time about his reason for repudiating his tainted betrothed wife Alice, so I won't get into that again, but the reasons for his choice of Berengaria are quite interesting. Navarre may have been a small kingdom, but it was strategically very important for Richard. It sat on the southern border of his empire over the Pyrenees from Aquitaine and was an important ally for the Angevins. Navarre and England also were both allied with Aragon, another small Spanish border kingdom, against the county of Toulouse. Now, I haven't talked much about Toulouse in this show, 
but it has been a consistent pain in the butt for Aquitaine since time immemorial. With Richard about to depart on crusade, a match of Berengaria would secure the southern sector of the empire. She was also well known to Richard. The new king was good friends with her brother, also called Sancho, and they would have met a few times at tournaments in the region while he was ruling Aquitaine. Finally, though she did not bring territory, her dowry was quite substantial, which was of more use to Richard, as he was frantically raising money to pay for his crusade. Some medieval sources do wax a little lyrical on this being a true love match, but, as is almost always the case, this was about politics and money. Berengaria, around on her betrothal, was met in Pamplona by her indomitable soon-to-be mother-in-law, Eleanor of Aquitaine. If she was intimidated by the Queen Mother, then she had plenty of time to get used to her, as they would spend a long time on the road together, traversing both the Pyrenees and the Alps both in February, before finally making it to the city of Naples, where they could finally take the trip to Sicily, where she would finally meet up with her fiancé. If she was hoping for a warm welcome from the whole crusading army, then she would be very disappointed. Richard and the French King Philip arrived at Messina at around the same time, and, as usual when they met up, there was a huge fight. There was always some excuse, some spark found by either party for the latest intrigue, but really, as with most things, it was about power, prestige, one-upmanship, possibly due to the rampant quantity of testosterone swirling around any room the two happened to be in. They were the best of frenemies, and they now had found something new to squabble over, Alice. Philip still felt that he could force Richard to marry his sister and weld their two families together. This would give Philip a great deal more influence and possibly give any son they might have a claim to both thrones. He just needed to best his rival before Berengaria showed up, and in Tancred of Sicily, he thought he saw his chance. Now, like most things, this is dreadfully complicated, but I'll try and keep it simple. Richard's sister Joanna had been the Queen of Sicily, but her husband had died without them producing an heir, so there was a succession fight which was won by Tancred, one of his illegitimate sons. One of Tancred's first acts had been to imprison Joanna and seize her lands and money for himself, as it was believed that she would side with the German emperor, whose wife was one of the rival claimants to the throne. Richard first managed to secure his sister's release, and then took Messina from Tancred by force, and everything looked like it would be settled, but then Philip happened. He persuaded Tancred that Richard meant to overthrow him, and this threw everything up in the air again. But then Richard outmaneuvered Philip. Tancred told him about Philip's plotting, and Richard saw his chance. He married Tancred's daughter to Arthur of Brittany, his current heir apparent, and even supposedly gave him Excalibur. Yes, that Excalibur. With his mythical sword in hand, Tancred was mollified, and so Richard could turn his attention to Philip. He gave his brother King an ultimatum. Release Richard from his betrothal to Alice, or he would reveal her to have been mistress to his father, and even to have mothered a son with him. Philip would not expose his sister, or, more pertinently to him, his family and royal house, to that degree of shame, and so he backed down. He signed the Treaty of Messina, which allowed Richard to, quote, freely marry whomever he wishes, notwithstanding the former agreement between us that he would take our sister Alice as wife. Philip did not stay to watch Richard's final victory. Hours before the arrival of Berengaria, he left for Acre, taking his army with him. The contemporary sources do their best to sex up Berengaria's entrance to Messina and to meeting with Richard. Ambrose wrote, quote, 
She was a wise maiden, noble, brave and fair, neither false nor disloyal. Her name was Berengaria, and her father, the King of Navarre, had handed her over to the mother of King Richard, who was longing for her to be brought to him. Then she was named as queen. Other writers describe her with words such as, quote, of renowned beauty and wisdom, quote, nobly born, quote, of splendid peerage, quote, a beautiful and learned maiden. These are all good adjectives, exactly the kind of traits that a good queen would want associated with her, and made for a good first impression. Berengaria had arrived during Lent, and so the wedding would have to have been put off, and Richard's army was ready to depart by ship in any case, with modesty requiring that they travel on separate ships. Berengaria had, as a travelling companion, Richard's sister Joanna, sparking a great friendship between the two. Long sea voyages in this period rarely went off without some sort of disaster, and sure enough, as the fleet sailed past Cyprus, a great storm was whipped up, which scattered the fleet, with Berengaria and Joanna find themselves stranded at the, at the port of Limassol on the island. The emperor of Cyprus, Isaac Komnenos, clearly had not read the chivalric rulebook, and so instead of aiding the distressed damsels, he decided to do, you know, the other thing. He sent a message to the two queens, offering them food and shelter if they were to disembark their beleaguered strips. Yet, neither lady was a fool, and they, quote, began to waver, anxious that if they submitted to the emperor's persuasions, they would be taken captive. On the other hand, they were afraid that he would attack them in their refusals. They decided to use delaying tactics so as to give Richard as long as possible to come to their aid, and it paid off. Quote, while they were gloomily discussing and bewailing their situation to each other and gazing out across the sea, two ships appeared in the distance. It was the royal fleet. In his fury at the conduct of Isaac, Richard immediately set about conquering the island. According to legend, when Isaac was brought before the king, he pleaded with Richard that he not be put into irons. Richard is supposed to have acquiesced to his request, clapping him instead in chains of silver and then throwing him into the dungeon. To celebrate the conquest of the island, Richard and Berengaria were married in Limassol on the 12th of May 1191, and Berengaria was crowned as Queen of England by the Bishop of Evreux. In modern weddings, it is customary to wax lyrical about the bride's wedding dress, but instead here we only know what the king wore. A rose silk tunic delightfully set off by a scarlet cap, gold embroidered cape and sash, and gold and silver sword. The occasion was described in an English poem thusly, quote, There Kinrick espouse Berenger, the king's daughter of Navarre. There made there the rich espousing that ever makes a king, and crowned himself emperor, and her empress with honour. Three weeks later, the newlyweds set off with the army, but while Richard went off to make his name as one of the most famous soldiers of the Middle Ages, Berengaria and Joanna were left behind in captured cities like, as one historian has put it, quote, birds in a cage. They were housed first in Acre, and then in Jaffa, but these places were far too dangerous to let them venture outside, so they were basically cooped up inside for two years. While bearing Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Gary was following in the footsteps of Eleanor of Aquitaine as far as going on crusade was concerned. She and Richard were very keen that she not gain the same degree of infamy that Eleanor had developed half a century before. There was no gossip, no hint of any dalliances. Nothing. As Lisa Hilton puts it, quote, The silence of the chroniclers about Berengaria and Joanna suggests that their conduct was spotless, their lives so dull that there was nothing worth recording about them. Berengaria saw none of the great showpiece events of the crusade. Her only glimpses of the strange land in which she found herself would have been from a window. Berengaria and Joanna must have had the most dull crusading experience in history. While we're fairly sure that the marriage is consummated in the Holy Land, it seems clear that very early on, Richard realised that he had little interest in his wife. They spent very little time together, and certainly no children were born. A royal marriage was supposed to produce children. It was the primary imperative, and it was supposed to happen as quickly as possible. That this did not happen did raise a few eyebrows. The most common and lurid explanation given is that Richard, despite fathering at least one illegitimate child, was a homosexual. Now, there is absolutely no proof for this theory, but it is one that historians refuse to give up on. The most common line of argument stems from a passage in the chronicler Roger Howden in 1187 concerning the relationship between Richard and his arch-frenemy Philip. Quote, They ate from the same table and drank from the same cup, and at night they slept in the same bed, and the King of France loved him as his own soul, and their mutual affection was so strong that because of the vehemence of their mutual affection, the King of England was dumbfounded. Now, to our eyes and ears, that sounds pretty conclusive, but it was not unusual for medieval men to share plates and even beds in this period. Things were different back then, but it has not stopped writers from gossiping. Another piece of evidence comes from when a hermit came to visit Richard's court in 1195 and warned the king to be, quote, mindful of the destruction of Sodom and abstain from unlawful things, or God's just retribution will overtake you. Sodom, of course, is a biblical reference to a city consumed by fire and brimstone after they angered God with their impenitent sinning, and is, of course, the root of the English word sodomy. That said, back in the 12th century, an invocation of Sodom did not necessarily mean a reference to homosexuality. It was often used for any kind of sexual vice, including the rampant heterosexual adultery embarked on by Richard that is mentioned in the sources. The final widely told story of Richard's homosexuality is the story of the minstrel Blondel. It is said that this minstrel was the kind of fanboy that directioners and believers would be proud of, and he made it his personal mission to discover in what secret castle Richard was being held. He played a song that he used to play for the king at court at every castle in Germany, until finally at the end of his quest, he heard the king sing along with the tune. Some have taken this legend and run a mile with it, making Blondel up to be some sort of rival of Berengaria's. 
This is the most far-fetched of all the stories, not the least because the story of Blondell only turned up a century after Richard died. This is all not to say, of course, that Richard did not engage in homosexual acts. He may well have done. It's just that we have no real reliable evidence for it. Sorry to rain on all your parades again. In late September 1192, just over a year after arriving in the Holy Land, it was time to leave. Though Richard had not succeeded in his stated aim of retaking Jerusalem, he had arranged a deal with Saladin that guaranteed the safety of the unarmed Christian pilgrims wishing to visit the holy sites. Berengaria and Joanna sailed together with the bulk of the army, as Richard had elected to travel separately for the reasons I talked about last time. They would not see each other again for two years. They took a similar route home to the one that Eleanor had taken some 50 years previously, landing in Sicily and stopping off in Rome. There, the Queen stopped off for six months, and it was probably there that she learned that her husband had been captured and imprisoned by Leopold of Austria. While Berengaria did play a role in securing her husband's release, it was of course Eleanor that did all the legwork. The Queen was completely sidelined, showing that Eleanor had as little regard for her as her son had. While Eleanor and John fought it out for control of the Angevin Empire, Berengaria departed quietly for Aquitaine. And this really would be the story of the rest of Berengaria's life. While her husband was someplace else, and Eleanor was taking care of business, the Queen of England would be far, far away from any of the action. Even when Richard was released and he finally returned to England, he did not send for his wife, with his mother Eleanor playing the role that Berengaria would have been expected to have played. It was not until late spring 1194 that the couple were finally reunited. Quite why Richard finally decided to recall his wife from her virtual exile in Aquitaine is unclear, though some have used the hermit story from before as a reason. Others state that it was the Bishop of Lincoln who was said to have admonished Richard. Quote, I speak in sorrow. It is generally reported that you are not faithful to your marriage bed. He then goes on to blame many of the troubles that afflicted England on the king's infidelity. According to Roger of Howden, Richard called for his wife to join him after Holy Week, and then, quote, received his wife, whom he had not known for a long time, and renouncing unlawful intercourse, was united with his wife, and the two became one flesh. Their reunion was at Losh, and the couple were together for a little while, but Richard's penchant for warring meant that they were still far more often separated than together. One place that we can definitely place them together in was Joanna's second marriage in 1196, this time to Raymond of Toulouse, which must have been a very bittersweet occasion for Berengaria, as she and Joanna had been inseparable companions through their travels in the Holy Land, but now they would be separated permanently. The reconciliation between Richard and Berengaria in this period was also falling apart. Richard had proved his fertility through the fathering of illegitimate children, and so, in the eyes of the time, Berengaria had failed in her principal duty as a wife. Indeed, it is very possible that the only reason she had been recalled was to try one last time to produce an heir, and, now that she had not done that, it seems clear that Richard and Eleanor had no use for Berengaria. The only thing she brought was the alliance with Navarre, but even that was breaking down, as the new king, Berengaria's brother, was pivoting south into the peninsula, rather than north towards the Angevins. Had Richard lived longer, he may have attempted to have followed in his mother's footsteps and sought an annulment from his unhappy marriage. But, of course, he was instead released from life by a cross-moment in 1199. As Eleanor and Richard's friends rushed to the deathbed of the king, no one bothered to tell Berengaria, the queen instead finding out from a passing bishop. According to Richard of Ancient, Berengaria was, quote, sorrowing and almost heartbroken. 
and she was only consoled when the bishop said mass for her, which managed to, quote, calm her grief in a wonderful way. She was not even invited to Richard's funeral. If the Angevin hierarchy had little interest in Berengaria while her husband was alive, it was nothing compared to their treatment of her after his death. Her dower lands had been taken away from her, and so she was forced to move to the territory of King Philip, setting up a household in Le Mans. But money troubles would dog the rest of her life, as her brother-in-law, King John, refused to release the money from her dower lands. She enlisted as her ally, Pope Innocent III, who was no fan of John's, having already placed him under interdict, and he was able to force the king to make some restitution, but with the kingdom in utter chaos, the payments were frequently late or non-existent. It would not be until the reign of Henry III that the debt was settled. Berengaria's financial woes have earned her an unwelcome reputation as a persecutor of Jews. Le Mans featured a thriving community of Jewish moneylenders, and she borrowed money frequently from them to cover her debts, but she was not always willing or able to repay them. France, much like England at the time, did not treat the Jews as having the same rights as Christian subjects, and so were liable to have their properties and assets seized at the drop of a hat, and that is exactly what Berengaria did on a few limited occasions. Such actions were not illegal, and she was very far from being the worst offender, but it has tarnished her reputation somewhat in the eyes of modern writers. Berengaria needed a project to occupy the final years of her life, and so she set out to build a Cistercian monastic house, which she named Notre-Dame de la Piété Dieu, or Our Lady of the Pious God, at Epau, on land given to her by the French monarchy. It was consecrated in January 1131, but sadly Berengaria did not live to see her dream fulfilled, as she had died a month before. Berengaria of Navarre is one of England's forgotten queens, far overshadowed by the fame of her husband and the power of her mother-in-law. She has the distinction of being the only crowned Queen of England never to have set foot on English soil while reigning as the King's consort. Her influence on the affairs of the day were minimal at best, and yet her life is still worth studying. It shows just how much a force of personality was required for a Queen consort to have any sort of influence on the affairs of the Kingdom, just what a political brain was needed to succeed. Eleanor of Aquitaine had it, Berengaria did not. Next week, we're going to look at the wife of King John, Isabel of Angoulême, who lived her life while England's Angevin Empire was falling apart, piece by piece. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.